Let's continue our series through the gospel according to John this morning by turning to John chapter 14. We are currently looking at the longest discourse by Christ in the scriptures. He's speaking to his disciples and we left off with them still gathered together in the upper room. Judas Iscariot has left the room. He's on his way to portray our Lord. He's going to receive a band of men from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they're going to come with lanterns and torches and swords, and they're going to lead Jesus away arrested, ultimately crucified. And now Jesus is preparing the remaining 11 disciples for what is about to transpire. And we saw that he began by saying he was being glorified and that God was being glorified in him. And Jesus tells them, yet a little while I am with you, ye shall seek me, whither I go ye cannot come. And then Jesus gives them the commandment to love one another as he loved them. These men were going to need to band together. They're going to be in a state of disarray as all of this goes down. And once the smoke settles, they're going to have to have love for one another in order to get through all this. And in, in so doing, Jesus says, people will know that you're my disciples. And let me just say this, love for the brethren is what keeps all of this going. Who wants to go somewhere where you're hated? You want to go somewhere where you feel loved. And it's the love for, the, for our brothers and sisters in Christ that makes all this possible to keep going. Simon Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for thy sake. And Jesus says, wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? And then he tells Peter, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Now that's how we closed out chapter 13. Before we read our text today, keep in mind that what has just been said. Jesus says, I'm leaving, you're going to seek me, and where I'm going, you cannot follow me. And then Jesus tells Peter that he was going to deny him, that Peter would deny Christ three times this night. Right after Peter said, I'll lay down my life for you. With that in mind, let's begin reading chapter 14. Verses 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Verse 1 has been a comfort to many believers. Would you agree? These words and some other verses in this chapter are often heard at funerals as a means to bring comfort to the grieving, to try to bring comfort that if, if the deceased knew the Lord, that they are now in the presence of God, that they're with Christ, their Savior. And, and we can understand viewing this set of verses that way, but this is not truly a funeral passage. I, I'm not sure there's anything with, wrong with making that connection. It is true that at death, the redeemed are united with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Thank God for that. Jesus said to the thief, 
on the cross next to him who repented, This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. And the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.8, We are confident, and I say willing rather, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. But this passage here, while all that's a comfort, this passage is an, will have its ultimate fulfillment when Christ comes the second time. When we will forever be with the Lord. And we'll consider this more as we go. But these verses have been a comfort to believers because we have the privilege of having the entire New Testament. We have the privilege of knowing what's going to happen the next day. What's going to happen three days later. How all of this is going to unfold in the first century. We, we can look at a situation like this and we know what's going to happen. And for us, I don't think it's as daunting as it would have been to be living through this. And, and they're living through it. They, they have followed Christ now. And, and as they're going through this, uh, it's going to be chaotic at times. And, and so we can look back and we can see everything's going to work out. We understand Christ had to be crucified. We understand that He was dying in our place that He was shedding His blood for the remission of our sins. We understand that He would rise again, and we understand that He would ascend back to His Father. And we understand that He will come again. And so what's taking place here uh, doesn't really bother us as much because we know the end. Hallelujah. But when we take verse 1 in context of what has just been said at the end of chapter 13... And when we consider that these men aren't able to understand all of this through the, the eyes of a completed New Testament, I think at that point these words of Christ to His disciples are even more comforting. Because they don't know what's going to happen. And Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. The disciples were genuine in what they believed, but they didn't have the entirety of it down yet. They didn't fully understand God's plan as of yet. That'll be evident as we progress, progress through this chapter. All they really comprehended at that point is that Jesus is going to leave. I mean, they understood that. Jesus said, I'm going to leave. And they understood He was going somewhere. And once they see, get this now, because you've got to put yourself in their place. Once they see the manner in which Jesus leaves, all kind of questions are going to be asked. He's crucified. That's not a victor's death in the eyes of the world. And so they're going to be scratching their heads at all this. They're going to be at a loss. And during their time of distress, Peter's going to deny the Lord three times. Can you imagine being told by Jesus that you would fail Him? And then can you imagine immediately hearing from the one that you are about to betray... Let not your heart be troubled. What a comfort that must have been to hear. And I wish believers would get a hold of this thought. You are going to fail in your Christian life at some point. You'll likely do so at many points. At many turns. I know many were sold the idea that once you were saved, your life was going to be a bed of roses. Everything was going to go well. You were going to be triumphant. And you just had this idea that everything was going to go well. I know some preachers sold you that line. Life would be lived on easy street. There would never be a sin problem again. 
But how many of you have lived long enough to know that's not true? You still sin. You still fail your Savior. And it causes many believers a great deal of distress because they begin to think, maybe I'm not saved. Perhaps I've lost my salvation. Some begin to think all that we preach is nothing more than a sham. Because victory over sin didn't miraculously happen at the moment of your conversion, as maybe they thought it would. And temptation still kept coming your way. And they're still there today, aren't they? And like the disciples, many have yet to see the bigger picture. They haven't yet comprehended what all the Bible teaches us about who we are without Christ and who we can be in Christ. There's a very limited understanding. And it leads to all kind of undue doubts, all kind of fears, and irrational thinking. Jesus had just told Peter, a man who gave up all to follow Christ for three and a half years, a man who thought he would stand for Christ no matter what, the only other man that ever walked on water, Jesus tells him, before this night is out, you're going to deny me three times. And as we'll see later on in this book, that's exactly what happened. The once mighty Peter and the only, uh, the only other, as I said, who walked on water. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine, Lord, if it's you, bid me come and you step out of a ship onto the raging sea and you don't sink? Boy, you think your faith would be pretty solid. And yet it's Peter who's going to deny the Lord. And just as soon as he does, the rooster crows and Peter runs away and he weeps bitterly. But Peter, let not your heart be troubled. And so many today, they enter their Christian life with an idea that it's all supposed to go well, that we're always going to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, and that we're always going to stand valiantly for Christ, and that we'll always be victorious over sin in the flesh. And when that doesn't happen, we become troubled. I want you to understand what I'm saying today, because I'm not trying to justify sin in any way. Uh, we ought to desire to live holy lives. We should never get to the place where we begin to justify sinfulness. But there will be times that we fail our Lord. There will be many times we fail our Lord. And aren't you glad He's there to say, let not your heart be troubled. Amen. Allow me to read to you a portion of Psalm 109, verses 8 through 18. Actually, it might be 103. I have two references written down, and I don't know which one's the right one. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. For He knoweth our frame, He remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passes over it, and it's gone. And the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. 
upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. God knows that we're weak. That's why he came to die for us. We're so weak, there's no way we could have saved ourselves. There's no way we could have fulfilled every jot and tittle of the law. We're not sinless, but He is. And He remembers our frame. He he remembers that we're but dust and that His mercy endures forever. And through His death, we can be made partakers of His righteousness. And I just want to say hallelujah that He's merciful. That He's gracious. That He's slow to anger. Just think about He's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. You can't reach it. He pities us as His children. And all He asks is that we keep His his covenant and that we remember His commandments and do them. You keep His covenant today by remembering that you cannot save yourself. We live under the new covenant. The new covenant is that Christ came and died. He bled for us that we might be saved. And we can keep that covenant by remembering it's all Christ and none of us. That He paid the price that we owed. Don't ever get the idea that somehow you add something to God's salvation. If you add anything to God's salvation, you've corrupted the gospel. And you've you've said to God that Christ's sacrifice isn't enough. Don't ever get that idea. But preacher, when I, when I fail, I have forsaken His commandments. That's true. But let not your heart be troubled. I want to say to you this morning, get back up and serve God again. Amen. Proverbs 24, 16 says, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. Psalm 37, verses 23 and 24 say, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall... He shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. And aren't you glad this morning that the Lord can still use us again? I am so tired of hearing from people who get to the point and the place where they say, God can't use me anymore. Where's that at in the Bible? Well, you don't understand what I did. No, and you don't understand what I've done either. And people get to the point where they say, God can't use my life. I'm unusable. You don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. And God's over here saying, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Why believe in Him? Because He's the one that can forgive us of that sin. And people who get to that place, they constantly live in their failures. And I am tired of this depressive brand of Christianity. Listen, you weren't good enough to save yourself. You're not good enough to keep it. And you're not good enough to keep yourself from falling. It's all Christ. And the only way to live holy and righteous is for you to die daily and to have your life hid with Christ and God. I fear that we have lost one who just couldn't get over being constantly haunted by his failure. He knew he was unworthy of Christ, and it bothered him to no end. 
that Christ would actually die for him. And as a result, he never learned to live for Christ. And I tried to assure him that our standing with God isn't because we figured out some mystery that's hidden, but that our standing is secure with God because Jesus Christ became our substitutionary sacrifice, dying in our place on the cross. And I told him by living the way you're living, you're basically telling God, Christ's death wasn't enough for me. But I don't understand why. Listen, you don't have to understand it all. The Bible tells us what we need to understand. Peter, you're going to fail me this night. You're going to deny me three times. But let not your heart be troubled. This statement wasn't for Peter only. But the context is for all the disciples present. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Christ was always preaching the message that He and His Father were one. They were one because they were one in the same. Jesus was God in the flesh walking upon this earth. And He wanted everyone to know that God had visited them just as was promised. The problem for them in their day was that Jesus did not arrive to accomplish what they thought He would. He hadn't come to establish an earthly kingdom but an heavenly He didn't deliver them out from under Gentile dominance, but in fact, it became worse. And so Jesus, in trying to prepare them for the confusion ahead, tells them not to be troubled about what is taking place. If you believe in God, believe in me. If you have faith and trust in God, then have faith and trust in me. And that's going to be a hard thing to do for these men who are going to watch him be nailed to a cross. In verse 2, Jesus says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I'd go to prepare a place for you. The perception is going to be that Jesus has finally been defeated. It's going to seem like He was a failure, and maybe even to some He would come across as an imposter. But all that took place is really the unfolding of God's plan. And Jesus here is saying, Look, I'm leaving this earth, but it's not going to be as a failure. I'm leaving this earth victorious because when I leave, I'm going to prepare you a place. The location will be in His Father's house. Now, this word for mansions is not how we use the word today. We use the term mansion to describe some elaborate, impressive, expensive place, 14 bedrooms, 28 baths, you know, that kind of thing. Eight-car garage, which we could use now. But that's not how the word was first used. Even in Webster's 1828 dictionary, it's defined, mansions is defined as any place of habitation. Any place of habitation. So if you lived in a stump, that was your mansion. And that's all it means here. Or as verse 3 will state it, he's preparing us a place. Jesus has gone away to prepare an abode for us. In fact, the Greek word for mansion is only used twice in our Bible. The other time is in verse 23 of this chapter where we read the word abode. So if you have this idea that you're going to get to heaven and you're going to exchange your cottage for some kind of great mansion, you're mistaken. But what about that song, I've got a mansion? Well, sometimes the hymn writers get it wrong. Just like the song this morning. Uh, The wise men three. Bible never says that. So if you've got this idea that you're getting this awesome mansion, get that out of your head. 
We do have a better home awaiting though, amen? And that's a comfort to know. What a blessing to know this world is not our home. And I want to tell you this morning, there's nothing in this world worth hanging on to. Hebrews 11, 13 through 16 says, These all died in faith, talking about some of the past quote-unquote heroes of the faith. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And if truly they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, in heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. And, and we're just pilgrims and strangers in a foreign land. Amen? My citizenship may be America as far as my flesh goes, but I want to tell you, my citizenship today resides in heaven. That's where I'm going. And I want to tell you that we have a better country. We have a better city. We have a city with sure foundations. We have a city whose builder and maker is God. Made in the heavens. What a day that will be. Side note here, some say there's an allusion to Numbers 10.33, which says, And they departed from the mount of the Lord three days' journey, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them in the three days' journey to search out a resting place for them. The ark being a type of God's presence, a picture of that, that His presence went before them to search out a resting place. And the, the allusion here is Christ's bodily presence went away to build for us a place. Amen. So there might be something there. Now, what makes this place prepared by Christ so great? And, and, and I, if you didn't get anything else I've said, you've got to get this point. He's going to prepare a place, but what makes it so great? Look at verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What makes our home in the Father's house so great? It's the presence of our Lord. Jesus told them, where I'm going, you can't follow, but let not your heart be troubled. I'm going to come again. I'm going to receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And <laughs> let me just get on a soapbox. This ain't in my notes, so I just feel like ranting for a minute. You know, it amazes me people hate coming to church. You're going to hate heaven. Amen. Another special. We got to listen to Born to Die twice this morning. Or you're going to hate singing the song of Moses up in heaven. Revelation says we're going to be singing that song. We're going to be singing a new song. And people just crack me up, man. They get so bent out of shape over the things of God, and yet they act like they want to go to heaven. Amen. What a day that will be. You don't even want to come to church. All right, well, I, that was free. I, actually, Brother Brock, you may have to deduct that. I want you to get this. One of the greatest days of my life. I'm not exaggerating this. One of the greatest days of my life is when I realized I wasn't saved because of a place. I was saved because of a person. I didn't get saved so that I can go to heaven. I got saved so that I could go to Christ. 
I didn't get saved simply to experience some better benefit package. I got saved because God wanted to have a relationship with me. Sometimes in our zeal, we overemphasize a place. People will lead in with this. If you were to die today, do you know for sure if you'd go to heaven? It's a good question. It's not about arriving to heaven. It's all about arriving to Christ. I prefer to ask people, if you were to die today, would you be with the Lord for all eternity? I ultimately ask this, do you know God and does God know you? Heaven will take care of itself if you love the Lord. (laughs) Because where the Lord is, there will we be also. Let not your heart be troubled. This world is a mess. It's going to continue to get messy until the Lord comes. Let not your heart be troubled. The Lord is preparing a place for us. Let not your heart be troubled. The Lord is returning for us one day. Let not your heart be troubled. You may fail the Lord now, but there's coming a day when you will no longer disappoint your Savior through sin. Is God preparing a place for you today? Do you know that you'll spend eternity with the Lord? Many feel it's impossible to know while we're upon this earth that we can know for sure that we will be with the Lord for all eternity. Many teach that you can't know that. And it's religions that tell us you can't know. It's religions which tell us you have to add to Christ's finished work on Calvary. It's religions that tell us that we'll have to wait until we stand before God and have the great scale of heaven weigh out our good versus our bad. And let's hope to God it comes out on the good so that we may enter the gates of the city. That's what religions will teach you. Amen. Is your heart troubled about that? Is there no assurance in your heart that comforts you to know that you're a child of God? And as that child, are you now joint heirs with Christ? How do I know? The Bible says the Spirit of God will testify to your spirit that you're His child. If you don't have that assurance, if you don't know for sure what your eternal destination will be, you can get that settled today. Say, I don't know if I'll be with Christ. That's why God gave us His Word. So that we may know. And the Bible says, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And I want to tell you this morning, I know that I know that I'll spend eternity with the Lord. I know it. If you can't say that, you need to come to Christ today and get that settled. Maybe you're one who keeps living in your past defeats. You got to get that under the blood. Let God use your life again. We don't want to excuse our sinfulness away, but He'll still whisper to you, let not your heart be troubled. Maybe you just need to get back up and serve God once again. Would you stop letting past failures defeat you? Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the comfort that we don't have to have troubled hearts. We don't have to be agitated in spirit. We can have the comfort of knowing you that where you are, that's where we will be one day. If there's any who need to respond, I pray you'd bring them to the place of knowing you or confessing some sin and getting back up and serving you. So however you need to move, I ask you to do so for Christ's sake. Amen.